You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to Trailblazers on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell. Our, my guest uh, today is one of our greatest rugby players. Two Rugby World Cups, two Rugby World Cups, sevens titles, an Olympic gold medal and numerous other accolades. I think I've got them all. Kelly Brazier, Blackfern, Blackfern sevens. Welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we, you're in MIQ. You're, you're, you're last night. You're about to get out, obviously, just coming back from the Black Ferns Tour. Your second stint. Um, how how has that side of things gone? You must be blooming desperate to get home. Yeah, look, um, it was obviously a pretty full-on tour, so um, long travel back as well. So, to be honest, probably the first couple of nights was actually quite nice just to be able to lie in, sort of ease your way into the day, but um, yeah, now like you're saying, on the last day, I'm definitely looking forward to getting out, getting some fresh air, um, some good summer weather, and, and back to see the family. You've come back at a perfect time too, because it's glamour at the moment. It's been so nice. Um, you, you mentioned this, this tour. Let's let's sort of start there at the, at the most recent with this Black Ferns Fifteens uh, tour. It has it was it was tough. It was tough for us to watch back here. I'm sure it was tough to be involved in. What have you kind of taken away in this time to reflect on it while you have been been sitting in MIQ? Yeah, I think um, obviously pretty good with how the tour went. Um, or losses, it's not what anyone would have wanted, but kind of looking back, I, I would rather it happen now than sort of this time next year, so I guess it's highlighted we've got a lot of work to do, um, both personally and as a group, so I think um, over this time we'll be looking at ourselves really hard, um, we know a lot, of, a lot of work to go on over summer, and then um, looking forward to, I guess, getting into sort of the super rugby, and um, hopefully I think um, with the losses, like I think it will just make girls sort of work harder, kind of thing, mm. and um, highlight sort of those areas that we need to improve on in, in eight months' time. Yeah, obviously, you haven't played 15s for a while. N- nobody in the team had played a test for two years, um, but y- you and, and a couple of others were, uh, well, a little bit of Farah Palmer Cup. Were you surprised at? the difference at all at how far England and France appear to have moved the game on since say 2017 when, when we last won the World Cup? Yeah, 100%. Um, the game I think over there has just made massive strides. Um, just the way both of the teams play, like it actually probably suits us and is a bit of like a New Zealand style compared to all the previous matches that definitely against England. You know, they tended to play a bit more of a kicking game, but now, you know, they've got props, hookers, running 20 metres down the <laughs> field, offload like they're back. So, yeah, it's um, it's come a long way. And, again, I guess it's just highlighted the work that um, needs to be done with this group to um, 
I guess, keep up with them, really. Can, can that be purely put down to, to the investment and resource and, and the, the effectively the pro-comps that they have over over there, or are there other factors, Cal? I wouldn't say purely. Um, again, looking back at the tour, I don't think um, there's any excuse for just simple mistakes like catch and pass, dropping the ball, things like that. So um, purely, and I guess a short answer, no, but... Um, Again, they, yes, they have had a lot of time together, but like I said, at the end of the day, we were making errors that it wouldn't have mattered whether, you know, we had played 10 games or one kind of thing. So uh, that was probably one of the things we were most sort of disappointed about. What what looked did look noticeable, again, from a distance, and, and you know, you never judge social media by being true facts all the time, but it, it still looked like a pretty connected Black Ferns group that, despite the difficulties and, and you know, the, the toughest tour probably in Black Ferns history, you stayed pretty tight. Is that Was that the case? Is that how it felt um, for the group, as, as you know, as we head into a World Cup next year? Yeah, um, you're 100% right there, Ricky. Um despite the losses, like, the camp was pretty happy and uh, positive despite losing, which was good. There was sort of no blame game. Um, there was no sort of people breaking away from the group. Everyone sort of stayed as, stayed as one and, and wanted to try and fix things and, and get better. And um, I think it was just rallying around the girls. And, you know, we had a lot of young girls there kind of thing, so um, who were pretty upset with themselves at times. So... I think it was just more about coming together as a group, staying as one, um, reflecting, sort of acknowledging the mistakes in the game and, and trying to move forward. And we obviously didn't get the win in that last game, but I definitely think we should, sort of showed glimpses of, of what we can do when we get it right for 80 minutes. Mm. It must have been for you and, and Portia and Stacey particularly, obviously you, you had, like it's the extremes of the year, right? This massive high from, from winning the gold medal at the Olympics to this really tough, challenging environment. Has it been like that just total roller coaster? Yes. Um, like you say, it's gone from a high to then not winning a game, but I guess that's the thing I enjoy about rugby. I enjoy the challenges. Um the, I guess, continuous growth and learnings and um, even in our sort of sevens career, we've had the most growth when we've had losses. So, um, like I said, we'll be looking hard at ourselves and I think, you know, it's a perfect opportunity for us all to grow and learn and come out better uh, next year. Yeah, so how, how do you approach next year um, with, obviously, the Super Rugby Comp? You're signed up, ready to roll for the Chiefs and have now officially revoked your South Islandness by doing that. Um, <laughs> and then there's the Sevens World Cup, the Commonwealth Games and the Fifteens World Cup. I know some of you want to try and do the lot. Has this tour made perhaps a bit of a rethink on how you plan out next year? Yeah, I think um, it's something I've thought about a lot and um, I don't know, in my career there's obviously been a lot of training and it's, it's those moments that I train for. So um, personally, no, 100% I still want to um, be involved in all of those pinnacle events. I think it's just um, if there is a way about getting sort of that planning right uh, with my loads and, and sort of the timing in terms of when I'm sort of in one program um, opposed to the other, but um, at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that complement each other and I guess a perk of being in the sevens is just that full-time training day in, day out, which I think sort of puts me in a good place heading into sort of the 15s and then just trying to, I guess, transfer some of those skills and then 
just the game time in the 15s, which hopefully um, helped playing, like you say, in that Super Rugby comp this year. Yeah, game time must be a biggie going back to 15s, right? Like the, the fitness and all of that's there from, from sevens, but is it just getting back, in, the less space, all of that side of it? Yeah, less space. Um, and again, some some of the things you kind of talk to do the opposite thing. So yeah. I know with our sevens team, we're all about sort of keeping depth and sort of moving the ball to space, whereas in the 15s, a lot of the game's actually done at the line, so kind of, mm. I guess, changing all those habits you learnt in seven, completely flip them and do the opposite in the 15 game, but um, again, it's a, it's a challenge I'm up for and, and wanting to learn and grow in that space, so... Yeah, for you, who for our for our listeners, you, you, I mean, it's probably not being cruel to say that you're a total codehead, um, and, and you know, love the tactical side. Is that kind of the part of the challenge as well as unpicking the different sides, different ways to play, and and readapting to fifteens? Yeah, um, I'm not going to lie; I'll, I'll definitely take that as a codehead. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, I think actually in MIQ, I've watched that last. French game four times already. Oh gosh. I don't know whether it's just the time of the day it comes on. I keep flicking on the TV and whether it's trying to tell me something. But Sorry about um, the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not too bad, Ricky. Thanks. But, um, yeah, I do um, obviously look at the games and, and try, like, I probably analyse pretty deep and just find ways that whether help myself or help others and, and try and pick those out and, and then implement them in training. So, um, yeah, again, be good to. I guess the more 15s are the better for myself, just sort of getting back into the swing of it. Mm. Obviously, as we said, we mentioned the, the Olympics and what a high that must have been. When you reflect back now, what is it? Is it even not even six months, really? Um, what stands out from, from that time in the gold medal win in Tokyo? Man, it's, oh, it's still crazy, like, hearing it every time someone says it. But... um. Probably what stands out for me is just the group that we had. Like, um, I think we've all, obviously, some of us been together 10 years, but majority of the group had been there three or four years. And just, I think, the journey to get there, like the experiences we've gone through, um, the challenges, and they're sort of the ones that see what you go through day in, day out. So um, despite being in Tokyo, kind of being in a closed-off bubble, when I look back, it was actually kind of nice because you got to really, I guess, share and cherish those moments with the group that were closest to you on that mm. journey. So, um, yeah, looking back now, it was definitely definitely pretty special just the people that I was surrounded by and that right from players through the coaching and management. Mm. Did you Were you kind of carrying a bit of an injury through that tournament as well that you had to, to manage to get through a bit? Yeah, so I actually... Um, probably spoke about it the first time yesterday on a podcast with uh, Sarah Crowley-Ross. I um, so actually didn't play that Oceania um, tournament. I got a bit of a bug, was sick, dropped a bit of weight. And, um, yeah, obviously the girls, are, they're all a bit sore from the weekend, whereas I was eager to um, get back into training. And, yeah, it was the first session back. I think we had maybe three or four minutes left of training, and I paired up with uh, my good mate Sarah Hidden and um, just sort of doing some work on skills and that, and I just sort of went over the ball and like quite a stretched-out position, got hit, and um, sort of pinged right at the top of my hamstring. Um, and, yeah, at the time, I didn't really think too much of it. I was like, oh, that didn't sort of feel too good. Um, and then we were finished, so yeah. it was all good. And then um, told I just told the physio, because I quite often like to hide things. <laughs> so I was just like, Kate, just letting you know, be aware, but I'm fine. 
did the gym, all good, and then went to bed that night. I think I woke up at 2 o'clock to go to the toilet, and um, I literally couldn't lift my leg to roll over. And I messaged her at probably 2.01am and was just like, Kate, like, I'm no good. And I don't think I slept the rest of the night at that point. I think we were three weeks out from the Olympics. Mm. And I literally thought I was jumping on a plane to go home. So went for a scan and you had a bit of a um, strain right up by my hamstring. And so yeah, it was pretty challenging three weeks for myself. Um, it was pretty cool in terms like Kate and the coaching group. They're like, will keep you around until the last minute, give me every, um, I guess, possible chance. So, but yeah, it was tough. I literally didn't train three weeks leading into the Olympics, sat on the sideline, rode in a salt bike, um, walked a lap around the field watching this group of 15 girls just go head to head at it in the heat in Townsville um, day in, day out. So, yeah, it was tough sort of being there on the sideline, but um, I guess that's probably why it was, bittersweet for me actually being able to run out for that first game because kind of what I'd been through and I'd only really think I'd trained the day before in our captain's run and maybe 30 minutes other than that so for me it was just a bit of accomplishment to, to even make it there. Well I, look I, I knew there was something but I didn't quite realise it was that touch and go and I thought it was something you'd picked up during the tournament like in the first round and, and that you took into the finals and stuff um, well done keeping that um, keeping that pretty quiet from the other teams and from the media but in terms of that as you say, that touch and go of, of almost missing out. And you'd probably seen it a few weeks earlier with Niall Williams, right, who got ruled out of the tournament. Um, how did you kind of get through physically and mentally to, to be able to get on that start line? Yeah, so um, I definitely messaged our psychologist, Dom, back home a bit. And then I'm a bit of a freak when it comes to running. So I quite often sort of keep a journal of all the running sessions I've done and that probably proved to come in handy in terms of um, I just kind of flipped back pages and pages of years of running that I had done and um, through Dom as well just reassuring me like Kelly you've, you've done the work like look at look at everything you've done so I guess mentally that was massive for me that I was like yeah like I'm ready like this three weeks isn't going to kind of undo me and then um, for me I guess the rugby part kind of having played from a young age it's sort of always been there so it was just about I guess mentally being able to tell myself it didn't matter whether I hadn't trained for those three weeks like physically I was ready and um, I guess mentally tough when it comes to a bit of hard work so I knew that I was able to sort of get out there on the field and, and do what I needed to do. Mm. Okay. And, and obviously, as you say, the, the coaching staff backed you to, to get there and, and probably knowing how vital you were for the team, left it as late as they possibly could as well. That must kind of give you a little bit of confidence knowing that they, they back you a wee bit. Yeah, it was um, nice to hear. Obviously, I had a few conversations with um, Alan Bunting and um, that was again at the time where I was like, oh, thinking, you know, a couple of weeks out, they're going to have to make the call. But yeah, just probably the reassurance that he said, we're going to take you with us no matter what mm. and um, we'll give you right up until whatever the cutoff was, which I think was maybe 48 hours before. So I guess it probably proved vital in terms of the timing because had we had to make the call two weeks out, I, I don't think I would have been there. So yeah. um, that extra week definitely helped in terms of the prep and 
yeah, came right, obviously, just in time. Yeah. Wow. Oh, good. Well, look at that. And then you come away and you're Kelly Brazier, Olympic gold medalist. It all, it all turns out in the end. Uh, we'll take a quick break here on uh, Trailblazers and come back with more uh, from, I guess, uh, Kelly Brazier in a moment. You're listening to Trailblazers on SENZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest is Blackfern 7s and 15s star Kelly Brazier. We've just been chatting about uh, the Tokyo Olympic Games and the most recent Blackfern tour as well. But you said with the, the injury you had going into Tokyo um, that you, you had to back yourself. You knew that your rugby knowledge was there because you'd been playing since you were little. So let's go back. Uh, you grew up in Otago. So how did you get into the sport? How did you find rugby? Yeah, so... Um I've got a brother who's two years older and um, I was just kind of that annoying little sister that wherever he went, so I was about two steps behind <laughs> and so he decided he wanted to play rugby, so um, that meant I want to and um, followed him down to his rugby training, tried to um, jump on the field with him and his team, obviously a bit older and that's pretty much how I got into it and then yeah, my mum and, do- mum and dad signed me up the next year and I think I was five and, and played in the under seven for a couple of years down at uh, yeah, the Cocker Rugby Club in Dunedin. What was it um, about the sport, as you said, obviously probably from the little stages you, you just want to do what your big brother does, but was it was it something that you took to and, and loved immediately? Yeah, um, it's obviously hard to probably remember a lot from back then yeah. now, but at the time I'm pretty sure just the, like being surrounded like with a team um, and then I think I just was probably always competitive. It didn't matter what sport it was. So, um, yeah, again, like an active little child and just probably felt the freedom freedom of running around on the footy field with, with your friends. Did you play heaps? Were you, a, yeah, as you said, active kid? Did you play heaps of sport right through school? Yeah, like uh, athletic, cross-country, soccer, rugby, touch, um, bit of volleyball. So... Yeah, I pretty much played everything I could until I sort of got to the age where I had to obviously drop a few because couldn't fit them all in. Yeah. And you were into Otago Girls? Yeah, Otago yeah, Girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, oh gosh, I imagine then too, rugby for, for girls and women, it, it was hardly like it is now. Um, were you often the only girl in the team? Or how, how were you able to progress it as you got older too um, and stick with that sport when it probably wasn't kind of the done thing back then? Yeah, uh, so I was the only girl on my team. And then obviously, I don't know, there's quite a few clubs in Dunedin, but every other team I played against, there were no other females. And that was right the way through from when I was under fives, right the way through to under 13s, I played with the boys. So, um, yeah, probably my last couple of years, it did get tough. Because when I was young, I actually got my hair cut because I wanted to be like Jeff Wilson. <laughs> so I kind of... Just put it in, and everyone thought I was one of the boys. And then, sort of, as I got older and went to intermediate and stuff, I had the long blonde hair. So people obviously realised I was a girl. And probably at that stage, I definitely got a bit of stick for it. For you know, being being the only girl and, and playing against boys, and yeah, I've definitely got some some vivid memories of um, being glassed at and, and things like that against opposition teams. But again, I was just had good teammates around me, um, the boys of my team, they trusted me, um, they sort of always had my back and that's probably what kept me in the sport really and then obviously after the under-13s moved to the Togi Girls and that's where it kind of went to, to playing with uh, all females. 
Yeah, that's t- that's tough though, isn't it, for a kid to you know, and you just want to play footy, right? You just want to do what, run around and whatever. And I'm sure we girls probably still face that now, even though we've made some changes. Um, yeah, what do you kind of credit sticking at it when, as a kid, you really could have gone, no, this is too hard, and gone and played netball, for example? Yeah, I think probably the support of my parents. Obviously, they're on the sidelines and probably heard and heard and saw a lot of it too. And then. Um, again, my brother who actually got me into it, he always kind of was there and in my ear and was like, nah, stick with it. And um, they obviously knew I was pretty talented at it back then too. So, um, and again, probably the biggest one would have been, again, my teammates. Just that if things were said, they, they pretty much were in there straight away and, and telling them to be quiet and, and things like that. But I guess my whole way through, I've kind of been like a quiet and go about my work. So, I tried to probably just let my work ethic and, and my game do the talking and probably tried to, to not be too phased for it, even though obviously it was hard being sort of a young girl. Mm. But, yeah, just the support of, I guess, guess my peers, my parents and my family. Yeah. Are you still in touch or keep in contact at all with any of those kids that you played with, like any of those boys at Kaipara or, or wherever back in the day, who I'm now probably, I'm sure, all go that they played, that you were in their team, you know, when you're 10 or however old? Yeah, yeah, I um, definitely keep in touch with quite a few of them, which is pretty cool. And, and then, yes, like, I guess, pinnacle events like the Olympics and, and things like that, getting sort of good luck messages and or just other ones that probably haven't kept in touch with. And then they'll, like, send photos or, oh, my God, I remember playing against you when we were six or seven and, and things like that. So, nah, it's nice, That's I guess, cool. getting those messages and, and just sort of the memories of, I guess, all the people I played against back then. Yeah, that's super cool. Oh, there was, and as I say, I think there's probably still some some wee girls who love their footy um, and and might still experience that. I think a few of you went and visited one who had had some issues around that, couldn't play with the boys and all that. What would you say to to a, a young girl who just loves loves rugby, wants to play, and and may experience that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think it's just about staying true to yourself and um, knowing knowing why you play, why you love it, and and I, I guess at times it's hard, but I guess shutting out those negative comments and quite often they're only negative because, I don't know, you might be better than them or they're <laughs> jealous or things like that. So, um, yeah, just, just sticking to it and, and making sure, you know, you've got the, the support of your peers and, and that kind of thing probably. Mm. Outside of rugby and, and sport as a kid, were you were you good at school? Were you a good student, Kelly? Or was it were you always going to try and find a, a path to sport to, to, as a career? Not that rugby players uh, aren't good students and smart people, yeah. I should add. Uh. Yeah, no, I was, um, I was never the smartest in school, but again, I was definitely a hard worker, and I think because I missed a lot of school away with sport, I kind of knew I had to work hard to, to catch up. So, um, yeah, like I said, wasn't the brightest, but had to work hard in terms of study and, and sort of pass my, my exams and results. Um, but, yeah, it was... Yeah, never kind of a given. Like my brother, he he could not turn up to school and sort of pass with straight A's. I, I didn't get past that that intelligence on. But um, again, I guess it's probably just a bit of that work ethic and and knowing that you know I wanted to do well in school as well, not just my sport. Yeah. Did you study? Did you study post high school? Go to uni or anything? Yeah. Yeah. So after high school, um, I actually went to the sports institute and did like a um, sports coaching management. Um, and then I went in and did some personal training and then I was actually signed up to do Bachelor of Sports Science but 
I ended up, it was a bit unheard of then, got an offer to go and play rugby in Canada. So I ended up taking that up and sort of haven't got back to it since. <laughs> and and what, did you, what did you go and do? How did that ca- the Canada thing play out? What was that all about? So it was after the 2010 World Cup in London. Our scrum uh, coach, Dan, Dan Cron, he obviously sort of travelled around the world, bit of a scrum guru, and he had coached at this club in Canada that were, they'd just recently gone up to the top grade and they were looking at, I guess, getting an import in and um, he sort of mentioned my name and said, this is, you know, this is what it involves, would you be keen? And um, I definitely thought long and hard about it, conversations with my mum, mum and dad and family and at the time we were just kind of like, oh, you know, these opportunities don't come around too often. So um, a couple of months later, yeah, I think I was, 2021 20, at the time, packed up my bags and headed over to Edmonton in, in Canada and actually ended up playing uh, two seasons over there before coming back and getting involved with the uh, New Zealand Sevens team. Awesome, amazing. My guest on Trailblazers is Blackfern Kelly Brazier. We'll take a quick break and come back with more in a moment. Welcome back in to Trailblazers on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest is uh, Kelly Brazier talking about her life and career in rugby. Um, Kelly, you made your, your debut for the Black Ferns 15s, gosh, t- when you were 20, more than, a, more than a decade ago now when you think back. When, when you look, who, who was in that team? What stands out from that time as you, this, this girl from Dunedin, um, playing with uh, some of the legends? Yeah, I think that out as, as the legends um, I had people like Anna Richard, Victoria Grant um, Vicky Hayway Melissa Rusco, Casey Robinson um, yeah, it was just crazy I guess being in their presence and obviously um, I didn't actually learn about the Black Ferns until I seen them on TV in the 2006 World Cup and um, yeah just to, just to be training alongside them and I guess soak up their knowledge and then to be able to play a World Cup beside them was was next level and probably yeah was definitely a highlight of, of my career to date. Mm. We, look, you think back to players like Anna and um, Mel Robinson, Robinson who, who I don't know if you would have played with, I think she probably had retired by then and, and a few others and they were they were amateurs but they trained and played like professionals. Is that what they were like, that, that, that work ethic was was really instilled and you're wearing a black jersey and, and, and having to live up to that all the time? Yeah, like, um, you know, as soon as we sort of got to training and crossed that line, you could just kind of see a, a light go on inside them and you, you knew they meant business. Um, you knew it wasn't time to muck around, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, just, just the way they worked. Um, and then probably personally just the amount of help they gave me in, in those years of, I guess, my career being young and, and the confidence they sort of installed in me um, was was unreal and, and I guess that's kind of the legacy that they've left in the Blackburn. Mm. I'd imagine you probably had, gosh, hardly any resources and ill-fitting tracksuits and jerseys and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, it's actually pretty funny where girls back I think through Facebook or something and looking at the photos and they're in tears of laughter just looking at like yeah our baggy pants and our oversized jackets and things like that but um, yeah for me I'm thankful I think to have been able to be a part of kind of that era and experience kind of both sides of it what it was like back then and then obviously now kind of reaping the awards of 
as being a full-time professional. Mm. It's a bit weird, isn't it, to think that there, there is now players, and, and, and which is great, that they'll never know kind of like the, the scrapping for things that some of you and, and players like Anna and Rochelle Martin and whomever else have had to fight for. It's, um, it's com- just a whole new world of rugby, right? Yeah, it, it's definitely crazy, but I think that's where, uh, I guess, people like myself, our job now to, to share those stories and, and pass them on to to the younger players and the younger generations coming through so they sort of realise the struggles and, and things that some girls did just to play for this jersey. And I guess, and you know, they have, we say it all the time, but it's true, they, they paved the way in this jersey and that's why we now get what we do. Mm. You said you played what 2010 World Cup. You had your stint in Canada and then came back. And so, how did you kind of transition into sevens? What was how did that play out? I think when it got it became an Olympic sport. I think it was announced around 2012 ish. I want to say. Yeah. So at the time, there wasn't like kind of any sevens at all. There was no nationals. Um, none of the girls had really played sevens other than. There was a World Cup in 2009, which was just a one-off tournament, which was just kind of 15 players looking back now. But, um, yeah, so I flew back from Canada and was just like, man, I want to get involved in this. And we were lucky enough that year they had uh, the Queenstown Sevens. That was the first nationals that the women were involved in. So uh, Otago didn't actually have a team, so I had to play for Canterbury. And, um, yeah, over the weekend they uh, kind of selected a squad of us um, which made up the majority of the New Zealand women's sevens team. And then uh, 12 of us got picked to, to go to Houston in the, the first, uh, well, actually I think it was the second ever World Series tour, which was uh, the start of 2013. And, and that was yeah pretty much how it started for me. It went from uh, the Nationals. Wow. Oh, you got, got the national stints in Queenstown, which everyone always um, discussed as a, a bit of a highlight of a weekend anyway. Um, yeah, what was the kind of the transitioning like in, in terms of adapting to become a, a sevens player? Was that, is it fairly, no, I don't want to say easy, but to go from 15s to sevens, how is that transition made? No, it's the other way that's easier, sevens to 15s, I would have think, with the fitness side. Yeah, it was... <laughs> yeah. Um, Obviously had to uh, to improve the fitness, but I think probably looking back now because there hadn't been any sevens, so we kind of evolved with the game, mm. and so I don't think it was probably as big as a challenge because we were right, we were the start of it, and so over the years as it improved, kind of so did we. It wasn't like we like it is now. You know, it would be pretty hard having only played fifteens and, and trying to go into an, a sevens environment. So. Um, yeah, I was probably lucky at the time that there hadn't been any sevens and was just able to, I guess, evolve with the game, really. Did you? I did an interview a couple of weeks back with Tyler and sort of talking about those early days of, of the Sevens World Series. Did you get the sense then of, oh, you know, we, we you know, we, for the name of this show, Trailblazers, we're blazing a trail, or, or were you just kind of along for the ride a wee bit all of a sudden you're playing in Amsterdam and Dubai and, and all of those kind of places? Yeah, I uh, personally never thought it was going to turn out to be what it is now. Um, we had maybe yeah, two or three tournaments a year, and I was pretty happy with that. Um, thought flying to those three countries and and being in the the team was pretty cool. And yeah, I guess like you say, now it is. It was pretty much trailblazing for for what has come. And um, yeah, to now be able to, I guess, despite COVID, I think we're up to 
eight, you know, World Series stops the year and then to be in the Olympics, the Com Games, Sevens World Cups, like, it's just crazy to see how far, the, I guess, the sport's mm. come. Did it become, like, more realistic of, oh, this is quite a big deal as you got closer to, to the Rio Olympics, the first Olympic Sevens tournament? Yeah, I think just the um, the hype around the Olympics and then, you know, being a, being a kid in New Zealand, you, you sort of grow up watching, you know, stars like Hamish Carter, the Everson now, mm. um, Sarah Ulmer on, on TV, and then to think, oh, my God, like, Sevens is in the Olympics and, you know, you're a part of that Sevens group. So to be able to have the chance to trial for that team and then be an Olympian was, was unreal. And I guess, again, that was probably a massive stepping stone for Sevens. Like, I think after that 20, uh, 2016 Olympics, it sort of the sport has just taken off again. Have you ever had to wrestle, Kelly, with this the Sevens um you know that's your full time job, but the love of fifteens that you that you've always had as a as a kid, and and making that decision to effectively be a full time sevens player who now dabbles a bit in fifteens. Yeah, it was tough. Um, obviously, the fifteens is, is where I debuted, and like you say, that was my love of the game. And um, but in saying that, I think I enjoy the challenge of sevens. Um, enjoy the way the game's played, like the space um, probably suits me a bit more. Mm. And then just the excitement of anyone can beat anyone, like it's a 14-minute game, you know, you drop the ball twice, that can be the game. So I think I, I like the added pressure, the added challenges, and then probably just the, the opportunity to be a full-time athlete um, was obviously pretty appealing. Yeah. It was something I sort of wanted to do my whole life, so... To be given that chance, I definitely jumped at it. And then now, like you say, it's just um, trying to, I guess, be smart in the way. But when it works, I definitely try to put my hand up and be available for the Black Ferns and where I can. Because, again, I, I still have um, a piece of me that, you know, likes going back to the 15s. And I guess that was where it all started for me. Mm. Who's been um, formative and, and I guess key in helping develop your game and your style of play and, and that you talk tactics with and all of that sort of stuff? Um, yeah, it's hard to find a mate that wants to talk a lot of tactics with me, <laughs> to be honest, because they're over rugby. So I've actually been the opposite since being in the Blackburn. My little mate, Kendra Coxedge, I think she might take the win on that. So <laughs> she's nagging at me every day to, to chat. But um, Finally, somebody else. Yeah, yeah, but probably in, in recent years, definitely our, our sevens coaches, um, Alan and Corey, and then, yeah, Portia doesn't want a bar of me, she wants <laughs> anything but, but to talk about rugby, um, but probably as well, Sarah, our captain, she's obviously, um, I wouldn't say as crazy as a co-head as me, <laughs> but definitely loves to um, throw ideas around and talk tactics, and then probably the other one is Tyler, we sort of um, lead the attack of our group, so... We're always kind of um, passing ideas between each other and even if it's just the two of us coming up with things that we've thought of and then just trying them in a game without anyone knowing, you know, down at Black Park, which is pretty cool. Mm. You're listening to Trailblazers on SCNZ. More with Black Fern star Kelly Brazier in a moment. Welcome back into Trailblazers on SENZ. We've been chatting today with two-time Rugby World Cup winner, two-time Rugby World Cup Sevens winner, Olympic gold medalist, Olympic silver medalist, Commonwealth Games gold medalist. Have I got them all, Kelly Brazier? 
I think you have there. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> do, when you when I when you hear those rattled off, do you think does that even feel like that's your CV? There's nobody in world rugby who has achieved what you have achieved, and I know you're you're very humble and pretty low key about it. But I mean, it's an impressive um, list to rattle off. Yeah, uh, when you say it, I definitely don't feel like uh, you're talking about me. But I guess um, yeah, when I think about it and what you say, go back. I guess a decade now, I'm just kind of like, whoa, like, I was at that 20 World Cup, 2010 World Cup, I was at Moscow kind of thing, and it probably just brings back a lot of memories and, um, yeah, just good experiences, and I guess the journey I've sort of been on and, yeah, looking to continue. Mm. You mentioned a couple of names um, before, and, and I guess so much about what we love about sport is the people that you meet along the way. And, and for you, um, obviously, this team, the Blackfern Sevens, is very tight. But there's a couple that you that you're really tight with, and you said Sarah Hidney and her, and Portia, who doesn't want to talk footy with you at all. Um, what are those two? What, well, the, the three of you. You look like the most unlikely trio. Um, but what is it that connects the three of you so strongly? I think it's just like we can just be ourselves um, and it doesn't matter whether we've spoken every day or we haven't spoken in in months, not that that happens, but it's exactly the same. It's kind of like we've never left and um, even in here, like I pretty much talk to Portia and Sarah every day and we're just always able to find something to talk about and um, yeah, I guess we just accept each other for who we are and, and laugh about it and things like that and I don't know, it's just like a, a genuine friendship and, and like you say, we're all completely different. So I don't even know how, we, how we're how friends, but um, it just seems to click and it works. And yeah, when we're together, we, we're obviously a bit of mischief, but we just love each other's company and yeah, looking forward to, to getting out of here and the three of us being able to sort of catch up again. Yeah. Did, did you meet with, in the early stages of the 2012 um, the go for gold because I mean Portia was playing netball way back then. Or how did you sort of how how have you come into each other's lives? Yeah, so um, I wasn't actually a part of the go for gold because I was still in Canada, but um, it was through the sevens. I think probably the whole first year we didn't really talk or weren't friends, and then I think it was um, one trip to I think it was China, and we just ended up I don't know whether we're sitting together on the plane and then. Yeah, looking back now, we've got photos and it's just every single photo is, is the three of us and I think that's probably where it sort of started and then um, myself, I sort of moved to the mount first and then they would come up and visit and then yeah, ended up, I think, in 2014, the three of us actually lived together in, in the house. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, evolved sort of over the years into what it is now and, um, yeah, it was just kind of like a... I don't remember a specific moment that it was like, yep, we're best friends. But, um, yeah, definitely I think it was it was 2013 where it probably probably started. Jeepers, what was it like, the three of you living together? Um, it was good fun. Um, we obviously weren't fully professional back then, so we had a bit more time and spent a lot of time at the beach surfing and, and working, Porsche working on her suntan. Um, <laughs> but, no, it was, it was just the same, like, well, a lot of laughter. Um, Gossie's husband, he, he lived with us, the poor guy. <laughs> Three girls and him, so but he's used to it. But, um, yeah, no, it, it was good times and um, 
it's in a way it's like we still live together because we're always around at each other's houses so he's probably sick of it <laughs> um but it, i mean it's, it's such a a special bond and and i guess those two players Portia has almost become the face of women's rugby in the last maybe five six seven years and sarah has well, I believe, become the best leader, in, if not in world, in, in, certainly in New Zealand rugby, but if not world rugby. What um, do you see that maybe we don't, that those two take on board, take on their shoulders because of the profile that they now have? Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's pretty cool being able to be their best friend in terms of, like you say, the things that I get to see. But um, the thing probably with Portia, like, She's the most kind of ditzy person you'll meet and um, she doesn't even know she's good at rugby, which is crazy. So that's probably the one thing I love about her. Like she's just so humble and I guess that's why she's always wanting to get better is because she doesn't think she's any good. But here she is running around giving people to score tries. So, um, And then probably just the way everything she does is for someone else. She puts everyone before herself, so... Mm. Even if um, there was a car that was going to be late, she would somehow make sure that they all got there on time and she would take it and be late for everyone else and she would never say that she did that for anyone. She mm. just would take it and be, you know, and, and that's kind of Portia to a T. So, um, yeah, just so humble and, and such a giving person. And then, like you say, Gotti, just uh, a leader. It doesn't matter whether it's words or actions. You're just inspired to, to sort of follow her and... Um, Again, someone, it uh, doesn't matter whether she's known them one minute or ten years, she makes time to, to get to know people outside of rugby and, and sort of build those relationships, which is why I think she's um, such an important member of our group. You know, everyone sort of looks up to her. So, um, And again, just behind closed doors, you'd never know she was the captain. You'd never know she was the flag bearer. She's, um, you know, just a, a, a proud woman and, and you know... Um, spend a lot of time with her, her dog and her husband and, and massive impact with her family. So, it's um, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to see them both in, I guess, their environments outside of rugby. And, yeah, I'm proud to call them my friends. Mm, for sure, absolutely. I'm sure they would say exactly the same things about you as well. <laughs> well, we'll make sure that they do. We'll get them on to, to, <laughs> to return the praise. But, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. something many of us observers and, and I think even – people with a passing interest can see the strength of the, the culture within the Blackfern Sevens and culture can sometimes be an overused word in sport but uh, what has driven that and, and I guess led to the successes that you've had over a number of years and then to the ultimate success of, of winning the gold medal? I think probably um, what's driven it is our coach Alan Bunting along with obviously the players but um, on the back of 2016, realising probably how much um, culture meant to this group and what needed to be done. And so uh, a lot of times, you know, Bunt talks, it's actually nothing to do with rugby. And, um, yeah, pretty special group of, of people to be a part of. And just, um, you know, when you hear words of like a young Georgia Miller come in for her very first camp and um, just hearing the things she says and, is able to even speak up and feels like she can has, have that confidence. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks for the environment that I guess Bunt has created. And, yeah, I think everyone feels comfortable. Like, don't get me wrong, it's challenging at times, but I think it just 
allows everyone to, to be themselves and in being yourself that's kind of when you see the best form of themselves mm. and so um, you know people were kind of growing up in the program and, and things like that like Gail Borden and just to see I guess them be their true self now and I think it shows on the field and in our performances and um, yeah, like I said it goes right back to nothing to do with even rugby. Mm. It was speaking of sort of true self and, and off the field and life uh, um, outside of rugby, um, you've got a couple of people waiting at home for you for, for MIQ. Um, your wife, Talia, who I think I've actually probably known longer. I've known Talia since she was a little girl. Um, but and, and little baby Oakley, who's, what, one and a half or coming up to uh, early next year. What uh, What is life outside, mum life, uh, just outside of rugby look like for you? Yeah, so... Um it's been said a few times, I guess I was a bit of a rugby head, so it's actually been nice to to come home to him and, you know, he sort of takes up all my, all my spare time now, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way every chance I get. I'm either at the park or I bring him down the field to my running session. Sometimes he even comes to our team trainings, not that he watches. He's too <laughs> busy pointing out the drone in the sky, but, um, yeah, look, I just... Um, try to spend as much time as I can with them because obviously with what I do away quite a bit of the time so just making sure when I am at home I'm really present um I try to do nothing at all to do with rugby so I give him sort of my full attention and just try to do things as a family and and make the most of it really do you have you got a break now after the year you've had or what sort of does the next wee while look like because uh, as we've said there's there's no slowing you down and as I've, I've, we've had this conversation a few times. We're not putting you into retirement anytime soon. So, uh, do you get a breather now? Yeah. So, um, obviously, out of here tomorrow morning, and then I'll be off until the fourth of January. So, a good four and a half weeks, and that will just yeah involve pretty much staying around home in the mount. Um, my mum's coming up from Dunedin, spend some time with her, and yeah, probably make the most of the beach days. Um, I like my food, so go to a few restaurants and pretty much just hang out with friends and family, really make up for, I guess, time being away and, and things like that. And Oakley's uh, on the move now, running around, so I'll probably just be, be chasing him and, yeah, lots of swimming, swimming and eating. Ah, sounds blissful. Sounds blooming great. Um, Kelly Brazier, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on a, a wonderful well, career, which still has much more to be said about it, and a, and a great year with the Blackfern Sevens. Not quite so good with the 15s, but lots to look forward to um, ahead next year. Thank you for joining us on Trailblazers. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ricky.